The reading this morning is from Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Reading of God's word. Do you have my Bible? Oh, here it is. Yes, you got it. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. So how many of you have watched it? Anybody watched it, the um, Facebook Live? You all watched it at home? It's pretty amazing. That's a, that's, a, that's a new world to me. I, that's, you know, I was like, who would watch on Facebook? Like somebody, Scott Cunningham had said like a year ago, we ought to do that. And I'm like, nobody would watch it. How wrong I was. You know, you think you're right and you're wrong. That's the book of Job. You think you're right and you're wrong. We are finishing this morning uh, about a month and a half study in the book of Job. And uh, there's a lot of ways to approach this, but that's sort of what we've been talking about. You think you're right, and you're wrong. The comforters were wrong. Job was wrong. Flyhu was righter, but still not quite right. Reminds me, there was an old story of when you hear, if you, if you heard someone uh, got a phone call, and they said, hey, someone's coming at me with a knife, right? What's your first response, right? Well, it all depends, because at first you'd say, I'm, I'm panicked, right? If, if my wife called and said, someone's come at me with a knife, unless she was on the operating table, right? It all depends, doesn't it? Job is a triangle of relationship between circumstances, God, and Job. And the theology of the time, we've talked about this, is that Good people, those who obeyed the covenant, righteous people, got good things in life. If you weren't, you got bad things. And so Job's comforters looked at that triangle and said, Job is experiencing circumstances that are negative, clearly from God, so Job is clearly unrighteous. They were wrong. The Bible says Job is a righteous man. Job looks at the circumstances and he says... I know I'm a righteous man. Now, he went too far and declared himself a perfect man, but, but he said, I, I know I'm doing the best I can to obey the covenant. My circumstances are miserable, are terrible, are tragic, so God is unjust. So the triangle, you've got to figure out, how do we work in a world that's so broken where bad things happen to good people? And we've spent five weeks kind of trying to unpack how people look at that. This morning, we see God speaking. If you've got your Bible, I'll invite you to open to chapter 38. We'll be picking and choosing a few verses throughout that give us uh, a taste of this, because what we have is we have two chapters where, if you wanted to summate it, you could sort of say God pulls the parent card if you wanted to just look at a at a very cursory reading and say, if I had to sum 8, 38 and 39 chapters of Job, I would say God says, because I'm the God, that's why. That's sort of how you could look at that. Look at a couple of verses as he begins, as, as he starts to speak. 
He says, let's just look at 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. If I was reading this, I could sort of look at this as the divine scold almost. Right? God's saying, well, where were you when I was making creation? I think that's a misreading. But I think sometimes as we read through, it's in poetic language. And I think sometimes we can read it like that. And what we come away with at best is an arbitrary, omnipotent deity who does whatever the heck he wants. And who are you but a puny man? Or at worst, we have a tyrant. And people sometimes, we can sometimes interpret circumstances and people come out with, well, God's just a tyrant. He, if he's in charge of all this and such awful things happen, fill in your awful thing then how do I make sense of this? And this is Job. This is the book. This is real questions that we ask and we have to ask as we look around in a world that many times doesn't function very well. So where does that leave us? Well, let me make a couple of observations and then let's dive into these four chapters. And And I, I hope to give you a picture that's Maybe not answering every question you and I might have about circumstances, but I think what is the heart of this book. First thing I want us to look at is Job 38, verse 1. Please don't miss this. The the voice of the man who's preceded Joe, uh, God's answer in these uh, first uh, in these last four chapters was Elihu. We talked about him last week and. He introduces the idea that a a storm is coming. In verse 2 of chapter 37, Elihu says, Keep listening to the thunder of his voice, the rumbling that comes from his mouth. And then in 38.1, it says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Tornado, basically. Now, if you've been around church stuff very long, you're familiar with the story in 1 Kings chapter 11 where Elijah is hiding away in a cave from Jezebel, who is trying to kill him. And it says very famously in that, and I've heard many, many sermons and talks on this passage, where uh, Elijah walks out of the cage and there's a tornado, and it says God's voice was not in the tornado. And then there's an earthquake, and then there's a fire, and each time it says God's voice wasn't in any of that, and then there's a still small voice and God speaks. And if you're familiar with that. Well, that's true. Sometimes God speaks in the still, small voice, and that's good. I tell you this, sometimes God speaks in the tornado, too. And Job is going through a tornado in his life. And you may be experiencing that as well. When news comes to us of close family members or ourselves, when death impinges or illness impinges or financial loss or sin overcomes us, it can be a tornado in our life. And don't think God can't speak out of that. Because God comes in the whirlwind. And in the midst of all the chaos, I'll tell you, I've lived through a tornado that touched down in the neighborhood next to mine, and we heard and we thought the roof was coming off. And can I just tell you, it's terrifying. And if you've lived through one or been around one, It is unpredictable, it is wild, it is powerful, way beyond our capacity to deal with. And all we're doing is just hoping that we don't get sucked up. This was long before that movie, was it Twister, that movie? But I felt like, you know, sort of 
that's what it was going to happen. I was going to get sucked up and out. And you realize how powerless you are. And in the midst of that, to know that there is a God who isn't troubled by that chaos, but is instead the God in the midst of the chaos. And he speaks out of that. And the second thing, in addition to the fact that he speaks out of the tornado, he speaks at all. God is under no obligation to answer. And yet God engages Job. He speaks to him in the midst of his pain. May I tell you, he doesn't really speak to the comforters because they're observers from a distance and they want to just postulate and pontificate on, well, there's your circumstance and I've got your principles. I know what you've done wrong, Job. Here's who the God, kind of God he is. Here's the principle. And uh, so here's the story. Here's the truth. And God says, you're completely wrong. And God doesn't even engage them other than to tell them they've sinned. We'll see that at the end today. But he engages Job. As I did a few weeks ago, I'm going to capsulize four chapters in about 30 seconds. Because if you heard this last week, I actually people thought that was good. This is not a translation of the Bible, by the way. This is nothing but simply a, uh, a little paraphrase to try to give you a sense of how I look at these four chapters. This is chapters 38 through really the beginning of 42. God. Job, do you have any understanding of how things actually work in creation? I'll give you some examples, Job. Uh, I guess I'll just be quiet now. Chapters 40 and 41. Job, you have rightly accused your friends of coming to the wrong conclusions about you, but you have done the exact same with me. You have assumed I am against you. But you don't get that suffering and trial are not pointless, even if not understandable. Job answers, verse 42, what Sarah read. Okay, God, now, I'm get, now I get it. You are still trustworthy, even when I don't understand. That's a hard-fought fight. That's easy words to say. But I tell you, when you're in the midst of a situation, to be able to say, I don't understand and yet I still trust, will be the pivotal moment in your life when Christianity will ring true or it will be just a religion. Religions won't help you in the moment of suffering. They may give you a little bit of comfort, but they won't help you. A relationship with Jesus Christ that is meaningful in the midst of the tornado is what will change lives. Famous stories told when Charles Wesley comes over to the States and he's in the midst of a horrible storm on the, the Atlantic and the Moravians are praying on the boat. And he says, how can you pray and be so peaceful and calm and sing hymns when the boat is about to go under? And they said, we're just as safe here in God's hands in the storm with the God of the storm as we would be if it were peaceful and calm in waters. And at that point, Wesley realized he did not have a relationship with God that was 
a saving nature that he knew God and he was coming to evangelize America. And at that point, he said his life began to shift around and to change as he realized that that group of people understood God in this Job-like way more than he did. Job has this revelation in 42, 1 through 6, if you'll turn to that, please, that is somewhat the pivotal moment of the book, and we understand Job had been a righteous man all the way along. He had, not perfect, but he was trying to walk out his faith in a meaningful way. And God says, he says, now I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. What Job is saying is he begins to come to a place where he understands who he is, and in that he understands who God is. There was a 12th century monk named Bernard of Clairvaux, and he has this quote. He says, Know yourself, and you will have a wholesome fear of God. If you know him, you will love him. In the chapter preceding this, Interestingly enough, God says, he he talks about, well, the two chapters, he talks about these two creatures. He calls them behemoth, like a big thing, big land animal, and leviathan, big sea animal. Now, we don't know what animal they were referring to. It's not a specific animal. It's just a name, like, but really big. So the biggest sea animal we now know, I don't know that they knew this, but is is the blue whale. So, So... what he says is, if we're going to pick up here, so, so here's what a blue whale looks like, and there you can compare a mouse, a human, and a blue whale, Leviathan, all right? We're a lot closer to the size of the mouse than the size of the whale. Just, just, a, just point taken here, all right? And so as we look at that, the, the whole point of this, of chapter 41, is he goes verse after verse saying, are you going to basically get into a sumo wrestling match with Leviathan, with the biggest sea creature? Job, what chance do you have you jump on this back and try to take him down? And and then he says this. He says, and this is just what I've created. So what I'm trying to do, Job, is I'm trying to let you step back and give you some perspective on yourself Because you've thought my purposes for you are unjust. But what I tell you, Job, is that if you understood how vast and how great I am and how I really am treating you, even in the midst of your suffering, you'll come away with a different perspective. Going back to chapter 42, he says this. That's enough for us, thanks. He says in verse 4, Hear, and I'll speak. I'll question you, and you make it known to me. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job realizes that now he knows God in a way that he didn't before. And then this verse, which the words themselves can can sort of trouble us, um, but I want to break this down a little bit because I think it's actually a very beautiful thing. Verse 6, Therefore, I despise myself 
and repent in dust and ashes. On its face, we, that sort of strikes us as sort of self-loathing, right? I despise myself and I sit in dust and ashes. Well, hold on just a minute before we, we go there. Um, the, the word there that translated despise can mean to abhor or despise, but it also has the meaning of to, to reject or to retract, to to say, I used to believe something, but now I despise what I believed. I reject or retract. The sense here is that, therefore, I reject what I used to believe about you, that you were against me. And then he says, I repent in dust and ashes. That word there for repent is nachem. And if you go back to Job chapter 2, verse 11 says this, now when Job's three friends, the very beginning of the story, had heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from their own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nathamite. They made an appointment together to come and show Job sympathy and nachem, comfort him. Same word is translated two ways. And they say, therefore, rather than I despise myself, let me suggest to you it says this, therefore, I reject what I used to believe. I despise that I used to think God was against me. And now I'm comforted by kneeling before him and by accepting that he is God and I am not. That there's this sense of comfort because I recognize my limitation and that God's unlimited. Job had felt he'd seen the situation so much more clearly than God did, and now he sees that he didn't. And it is in his acknowledgement of his blindness that he doesn't have perfect vision of this, that he begins to get a picture of who God is. So, Job's revelation is that it's not, okay, the bad brings bad, the good brings good. It's that there's a God who's at work in this in a mysterious way. I'm not saying it's easy to unravel, but that he's coming into relationship with God rather than just perceiving God through circumstances. One thing Job did not have, however, is what we've talked about, which is that God has come in human form and spoken into the situation in a way that Job just didn't have the privilege of seeing. And I want us to now look at what the New Testament says. If you've got your Bibles open to the fifth chapter of the book of James, because James is really a book about Job. They are tightly related. I'll show you that in just a minute. James 5, verse 11, says, Behold, we consider those blessed, or happy, makarios is the word, who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. 
The Greek word there, hippomeno, means to stay under. Literally means to stay underneath. And the great takeaway from Job is this. We want to exit the suffering and the pain and all this as quickly as possible. And there are several ways to do that. There's a bunch of ways to do that, actually, to exit the pain and not live in it. Self-medication is a way a lot of our culture does it. You want to get rid of the pain? Just mute it with all sorts of things, legal and illegal, that people do. We have a crisis in our country, right? And we all know that, of opioids and other things. And much of it is that I think there's a hopelessness that at least I don't have to actually ponder the hopelessness of the world I live in, all the, all the negative screechiness that marks our world, everything that we look around at and think it's just, it's all disaster. We all, we're all Job. We're all just living just a breath away from just decimation of all sorts and types. And, and so what do we do? We just say, oh, well, this is a way to get out from under, not to stay under. Another way is to just come up with a philosophy. A lot of people just abandon their faith. There can't be a God. So I can exit the trial by simply eliminating from the triangle there. I know I have me, and I know I have the circumstances, but I won't even deal with the God. I'll just say it's just sort of some sort of nihilism. That is, there's no meaning, there's no rhythm, there's no rhyme. It's all meaningless. And I can exit the test that way. And then, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. And we live in a culture where hedonism is really greatly embraced. As long as you don't hurt anybody else, be tolerant of someone else's hedonism. But, you know, that's just a way, again, you're dealing with the situation. I get it. I'm actually quite sympathetic. Because if there's no God, if there's no purpose in the pain, then just try to make the pain go away, right? It makes sense. But what if there is a God? What if in the darkness which we all have to face and deal with, whatever your darkness is, whatever the anger or depression or fear that, we, that it can so easily entangle us, what if there's a God who's walking with you through it that you haven't seen? Your ears have heard about him, maybe from preachers or from understanding in your background, but your eyes have never seen him. And he wants to walk with you in the pain, but you've got to stay under long enough to know that there's a God with you in the fire. Turn to James chapter 1, because James begins this in Job-like fashion in chapter 3, and he says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers. This is one of the most ridiculous verses in the whole Bible, by the way. It's one of my favorites, too. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces hypomeno, steadfastness, endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result, that you may be mature and complete that's what, you know what salvation is, right? Sozo, salvation means completeness. It's not the word that's used here, but it's the same concept. It's to become what God created us to be. It will not happen in your life without trial and testing. 
The Bible's absolutely clear. The New Testament and the Old Testament confirm it. It is part of the human experience and is part of what drives us to God. But it's not for the faint of heart. It's for those who know they need God. It's also not for the particularly brave. It's for those who know they need someone in their pain and in their fire. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains hippomeno, steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So let me tell you the good news and the bad news as we close. The good news is that all this happened and Job is still without fortune. He's still without family. He's still without his health. And he's attained a measure of victory in this with nothing given back to him yet. Because it doesn't happen until the last ten verses. You know what? I'm so relieved in the book of Job when it happens and he gets everything back. Because it justifies to me that God is... Oh, I'm so glad Job didn't die in his pain. Because, man, I would have had to say, well, my, I don't know why. Don't, don't, don't know wow, he got everything. And double. The Bible says double. And it's easy to read Job as he got everything taken away. He did a pretty good job through the pain. And God gave him double back on earth. Because what really matters is what he gets on earth. Shame on us. If that's what we think Job is. Let me read to you Hebrews 11. Because this is what faith is, brothers and sisters. It's not about, well, before I die, thank goodness that my 401k and my, you know, my legacy will be complete and I'll be able to afford a big gravestone telling all the things I've done. Let me tell you what Hebrews 11 says. What shall I say? I'll start um, 33, verse 33, chapter 11. Those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, praised the Lord, some were tortured, refusing to... Hold on. They refused to accept release? Shouldn't they all get released? Now praise God that Job was restored. Praise God. But some were tortured, refusing to accept relief so they might rise again to a better life. Your life is not here. This is not where the reward is. God will grant great reward here for many of the faithful. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I like the first half better. Can we go back to the first verses? They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves, and they were commended. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. What is that better thing that apart from us, they should not be made complete because we're surrounded by them now. This great cloud of witnesses are watching you, some like Job who prospered and some who didn't, but were faithful to Jesus. 
And so here's what's incumbent upon us. Let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely and let us run with hippomeno, endurance, the race that is set before us so that we can look to Jesus. Because he who his Job's eyes never seen but he'd heard about, he saw in some prophetic way, he saw Jesus Christ. He saw the God and knew him in a way that he never did before. The founder, the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At the very end of, of Job, this is really, I, I said I was stopping before I, I lied, and I repent, and I'm stopping now because I just got worked up. But Job 42, the very end, as he is, and, and praise God, I am glad his fortunes were restored. But even before that happens, something very significant happens. Chapter 7, uh, chapter verse 7, chapter 42. The Lord had spoken these words to Job. The Lord then said to Eliphaz, the only interaction we have between the comforters and the Lord, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job. Offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you've not spoken of me what is right. You see what happens? Job becomes the intercessor for those who were no comforters to him at all. He said, you don't know what you're doing. But Job's prayer saved those who hated him. Those who mocked him, those who condemned him, Job spoke to. And because of that, they're forgiven. And then the Lord restores his fortune on earth. So it is that Jesus Christ interceded for you and for me and for all those who didn't understand what they were doing. And in our sin, we condemned him to death. And Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. Father, would you forgive them? And on the night he was betrayed, rather than condemning his disciples for the betrayal that was coming, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. His body far worse off than even Job's His body was going to be tortured, crucified. And we couldn't understand why. In the mystery of God, just like Job, we can't understand except in hindsight we see that provision for our salvation. After supper, he took a cup of wine. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, there's so many things we don't understand. There's so many whys 
of circumstances and situations that somehow you weave for the redemption of us all. And you took the most horrific, tragic circumstances in Job's life and you wove them into something that created in his character something godly that couldn't have been produced without it. Lord, we know in this world there will be suffering, there will be things that will happen for a myriad of reasons. But Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be steadfast, to stay under, Lord, until you release us. Help us not to take the early release program. But Lord, to remain questioning you, trusting you, engaging you, Lord, even if we're upset about it. Lord, Job spoke what was right. So that we understand, Lord, that in the moment when you could have early released from your calling to die for us, you went all the way. You endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before you. And we're the joy, Lord, that you, we're, we're your prize. Lord, and so are all of those who, even that don't know you, they're not our enemies, Lord, they're the prize. So, Lord, we come before you and we want to walk in that Christ-like spirit, submitting ourselves to your will and your purpose, even as you did. Help us to receive your forgiveness and to walk in that way. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.